me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. We'll be going through the whole chapter and we'll we'll probably be ending in Romans and don't worry, I know I picked large chunks, but we're not going from Genesis 17 through to Romans. Um, we'll we'll just be doing the two chapters. Um, let's begin with prayer. Father God, we are in desperate need of your presence. We are in desperate need of your guidance, your words. For I am not up to the task. We are not up to the task. But God, just as I've spent time in Genesis 17 uh, week, realizing that you, what you call us, you make us. What you call us, you make us. So Father, I often do not feel like a saint. I often do not act like a saint. But God, you who began a good work in us are carrying us completion. That our hope, not just for our salvation, but our sanctification is in you and in what you are doing and what you have promised to do. So God, I pray that you would bless the reading, and the preaching of your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 17. Um, let me just give you the, the main point up front. It was there in the prayer. Um, God calls people something. Uh, and when God calls someone something, it, it becomes that thing. It might become it in time. If you've ever read the book of Corinthians and... You've been shocked that these people dealing with those awful sin, the Apostle Paul would call saint. Um, well, beloved, um, when you're doing well, it's easy to be shocked by that. Um, but when you're not, it's a wonderful comfort. Um, that in the same way that Gideon was being a coward, hiding, threshing his wheat in a house, in a Closed windows, not the place you fresh. And an angel shows up and says, O mighty man of God. He was a man who was swamped with fear. As Abram, um, God is making him into what he calls him, and therein is our hope. Um, There's not a whole lot of clear commands for us to follow from this text. But we get an image of a God um, that can be just so encouraging for us when as we seek to follow him, we fail. When we get up, we go again because he who began a good work in us is carrying us to completion. Let's read the text, Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into a nation's. And kings shall come from you, 
I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout your gen- their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised. With him. Beloved, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, soften our hearts, open our eyes, stop our deaf ears, that we might hear. And in hearing, be convicted of where our failings are, that we would confess them before you. In confessing them, we would in faith look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
that in seeing Christ, in whom is all of our confidence, that from there we would go. We would be obedient to you, not so that you will love us, but because in Christ you do. Amen. All right, so it's been 13 years. It's been two weeks for us, but it's 13 years have passed. God, in 15, makes his covenant. God makes it. God establishes the covenant. He passes through the animals. God goes, I am going to, this covenant will be brought about and established by me. And in 16, we see God, or uh, sorry, in 15, Abraham believes that. He believes God, and God counts that to him as righteousness. He trusts in God's promises. But we see in 16 that while he trusts in his promises, he's fairly pragmatic, and it's difficult to trust God's means as well as his promises. So he goes astray, and the whole Hagar incident happens. And he he was already old at the time of the Hagar incident. And then... And then God lets it go 13 more years. And I think there's a lesson there for us. Our sanctification doesn't happen quickly. So many of the things that we wrestle with in life will be decades-long wrestles. God doesn't work on our, you know, American timeline. We want action to happen. We want the next thing to happen. We want to see progress, and we want to see it now. But beloved, God is not on our timeline. God is patient with us. So God has let Abraham go 13 years. Ishmael is growing up. He has been called. A whole nation will come from you as great as the sand is from the sea. And he goes, 13 years. Kids, God is patient. He is patient and we are not. So much of the time. So God is working on Abraham 13 years later. He is now 99 years old, and God appears to him again. And he begins by reminding him what? He says, I am God Almighty. I, this is, um, if, if you know the hymn, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erechim Kano Adonai. That, that's God Almighty, God Almighty. This is why the, the, the Bible begins with this declaration. The fact that God is the one that creates the heavens and the earth. He is God Almighty. Why does Abraham need to hear that at 99 years old? Beloved, he's, he has already believed God and it's been counted to him as righteousness. He is a man of faith. Yet he still has doubts. Sometimes I think believers, just because they have a doubt, in the long haul of slow sanctification, we feel like just because we have a doubt, we must not be a Christian. Don't think that. God reminds Abraham because he needs that reminder. Beloved, we, we, in our doubts, we need reminders. We need reminders from each other of the truth of the gospel. We need reminders from the pulpit. We need reminders in our worship. We need reminders in communion. Our God is God Almighty. He might not operate on our timeline and we might have doubts as to what he is doing in the world. Just this week, just this week, just looking at the elections. I'm not going to go down a rabbit trail with elections. But Ohio, I think it was Ohio, enshrined in their constitution, 
the right to child sacrifice. And we, we wonder what God is doing. Hard. We're, God is on a timeline that we are not. We are so impatient. But our comfort is that God is doing his thing. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And it's so important that we remember that you know, it's been two weeks since we read the, the last two chapters, but this call to obedience is coming after he, God has already established his covenant and called him faithful. That I may make or establish my covenant between me and you. This isn't a different covenant. When you, um, covenants today, if you own property and you have covenants on your land and you want an additional thing added to that covenant, what happens is the old document comes into the lawyer's office and the new document comes in and they add everything and you're not taking anything out of the old one. You're, you're adding something. He's, he, is bringing, he is establishing the covenant and one of the things he is doing is he is establishing it with a sign. I will make my covenant between me and you and uh, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. What does Abraham do? He falls on his face. Doesn't say anything. Verse 4. And then God says, Behold, my covenant is with you. He says, Be blameless that I might establish it. Falls on his face. God says, My covenant is with you. And you shall be the father, not just of a nation, but a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I made you the father of a multitude of nations. He is God's promises are so sure that, that he is speaking of them as, the, all, as though they have already happened. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then it goes, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish, I, I, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. It's important to have just a theological moment here. We understand to be reformed, even reformed Baptist, if you're a, a, a 1689 London Baptist Confession guy, whether it's the Westminster or the Heidelberg or the London Baptist Confession, the covenant of grace that Christ establishes is here present in Abraham under a different administration. All this means the, the covenant is established, that document that will be everlasting. There's no, when God says the covenant is everlasting, that doesn't mean it's temporary until the better one comes. This is an everlasting covenant. This is a covenant of grace. He is saved by grace through faith. Now some important administrations change. They are worshiping God in signs and shadows that are pointing to Jesus. Those signs and shadows are no longer necessary once Christ comes. But this is an everlasting covenant. This is the covenant of grace. Abraham is a man of faith in the same way that we are. He is our father. We're about to read Romans 4 and see that. 
I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. You know, as we sing, I, lo- I actually asked them to add that, the last verse to the amazing grace. I threw them off this morning. I, was, it was, I shouldn't have said anything, but I'm glad we had it. That verse, you know, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. Christians have often, have you ever heard the phrase, it's all going to burn anyway? There is language in Revelation of it burning. But that is language of a refiner's fire. What God makes, he does not junk. God's creation, he redeems and remakes as though with a refiner's fire. So it does burn in a sense, but it is also remade in a sense in the same way that the earth is kind of remade during the flood. And why does this matter? The the promises of the Lamb are a part of the covenant of grace. This is why in Revelation, it still talks about There's a new Jerusalem, and we dwell there. What will that look like? I don't know what that will look like in terms of land. But I can tell you this. All of God's promises find their yes and amen in Christ, and they are for God's people, which is us, God's people of faith. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. Can I just share one of my own recurring, not just American temptations, but I think for a lot of people. You know, I I have this fantasy of just buying a hundred acres in Montana, living on the land. You know, it's the the chronic, stupid, you know, male uh, colonial. Like, I just want to, you know, then I'll be happy. I'll be, you know, if I could just, you know, have my hundred acres and 50 cattle and, um, you know, forgetting that my body is falling apart and I would fall apart in a minute if I tried doing that. But where does that come from? Why do we work so hard often with our spouse and buying a land and designing a home and what do we call it? We, we want to call it our forever home. Brenda and I had a 12-acre lot in Marshall, Virginia, beautiful horse country. We had the designs for the home and then COVID happened and the price of a two by four went something like a dollar eighty-four in bulk, like twelve dollars with board. We wanted our forever home. Beloved, our forever home is not here. If you have not had that house that you've just always wanted, that acreage that you have always wanted, hear this. You are longing for a land that will be yours later. And if you've gotten it, praise the Lord. But be careful. It is not wrong to love the land that God has put you on, to love the house that God has put you on. But beloved, your soul is longing for a land that is not here and is not now. I will give... And these land promises matter. Have you... Even just when you, if you walk into a new church building for the first time, what's one of the first things you're trying to figure out awkwardly? Where am I going to sit? The middle schooler who's going to a new school goes into lunch and they're going, 
Where do I, where do I sit? Where do I belong? It's actually one of the major themes of the Torah. God is giving his people a place where this is where you belong. This is how you're to live. Gives us an identity. Why is it that as the, in the United States, as you know, the numbers of people in church has gone lower and lower and lower and lower, and it hasn't been replaced by another religion. It's, it's not like it's been replaced by a resurgence of Judaism or Islam or w- whatever. It's been replaced by um, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. No religious affiliation on the census data. And it, it should be no surprise to us that the crisis of the day is a crisis of identity. Beloved, our identity is in Christ. When God shows up, here, I know this is so far from from Christ as a timeline, but I want you to see God's heart in speaking to Abraham. He is a wanderer. He is a wandering Aramean. He's giving him a promise. This is where you belong. This is your identity. You are in Christ. That is your identity. If you have longed, if you've just always been frustrated with the house that's just never quite right. Beloved, let that help you to long for the return of our King. For God, all God's promises find their yes and amen in him. These promises, if you, like Abraham, are a person of faith, these promises are for you. But it goes on, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. So just because God saves us all on his own, just because God establishes his covenant, he does that first, then he calls us to obedience. First, God establishes the covenant, then he calls him to obedience. As for you, keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And he says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. I'm not going to get into the details of exactly what that looks like. Most people know. But it, it's actually, there's some ancient Near East stuff that I think a lot of people have this idea of circumcision is the old sign that's bloody and painful. And now we have baptism. is nice and it's about cleansing. Circumcision was commonly practiced in Egypt. All Egyptian men were circumcised. Most of the Canaanites were circumcised, and it was overwhelmingly a cleanliness thing. The Hebrews, when they show up to Egypt, are actually disdained as being shepherds because they're thought of being just dirty, bearded men. Egyptians were all clean-shaven. This is a sign of cleansing as well. The prophets will speak of it as You need to circumcise your heart, not just your flesh. So so don't separate. It's the same covenant of grace, two different administrations, two different signs, but they're not as radically different as you might see. And oh, by the way, baptism is not as pleasant a sign as you might think because Peter pulls the crashing in of the Red Sea on the Egyptians and the crashing in of the floodwaters in Noah's day, baptism. Both baptism and circumcision, these signs line up in the same way. 
God is cleansing his people by them in an outward way, and he is, it's a sign of judgment, this idea of cutting off, which is why it goes on to say, if you fail to cut off this part, and, and it applies to everyone, eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And just so you know, if you, um, you're like a nurse or a doctor, you'll, you know, the, the vitamin K levels get kind of just right for kids. This is actually medically like perfect timing. Just, you know, it just so happens that God, even before me- the medical age, doesn't make stupid laws. God knows what he is doing. Eight days old shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, any foreigner who is not of your offspring, it's not even just their biological descendant. If you have an indentured servant in your home, they are thought of as property. That's why they are called slaves. Slavery is the norm. And a lot of people are voluntarily entering it to get out of major debt and to escape fear of starvation and the the predation of bandits in the wilderness. There's a whole thing going on with slavery here. Much of it was wrong. But a lot of it is far closer to like an enlistment in the Marine Corps. You sign away your rights and your body when you do that. You are owned. You are the property of the United States government when you enlist. And God does, the, the covenant applies to everyone that is under that covenant, including all the servants that are there. Why? Well, we, Sunday school this morning, I, I think it was good, I taught it. Um, uh, one of the things that we talked about is that being under the covenant, being under the proclamation of the, ju- of, of the gospel of grace actually increases your judgment if you don't repent. What, what is the blessing of the Jews being under the covenant? It says in Romans, you are under the oracles and, and promises of God, they rightly belong to you. Which means if you reject them, there is more curse. And so everyone who is under the blessings of the covenant community gets the sign of the covenant community. Get where I'm going. It's the same covenant of grace here with Abraham, same with us today. Different administration. The signs line up and it is absolutely applied to the children. And yet there is... <laughs> um, Credo adult baptism has only really been a thing in the church for the last 400 years in terms of any mass movement. And beloved, you know that there is this idea, I talked about this with a man this week, and there's this idea, you know, they, they want to say, we're, we're only going to do that which God explicitly tells us to do. And, and there's a good ring to that. But our obedience, beloved, it, it tells us right at the beginning that we're made in the image of God. How do we think about sin? Is Sin is when we fail to bear God's image well. Why do we not commit adultery? Because our God is faithful. Why do we not steal? Because our Lord will provide. Why do we not bear false witness? Because our God is a God of truth. We do what we do because God is who he is. So here is the clear encouragement. If this is the same covenant under a different administration and the children are included and you go from you know, uh, the covenant with Abraham to the covenant under Christ, the covenant of grace under his administration, it is growing in graciousness. It is growing in inclusivity. Would we then exclude our children from the promises and blessings of God? But maybe here's an admonition to anyone with children. 
The Apostle Paul says there are some that oh they although they you know um, although uh, they they have been circumcised but they don't obey the law their circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And then there are those who haven't been circumcised but by obeying the law their uncircumcision becomes circumcision. What's the point? We are committed as a Reformed Presbyterian Church to realizing our children are members of this covenant. God's grace, God's promises, the blessings of the covenant are for our children. They rightly get the sign. Here's the challenge. Paul makes it very clear. It is really dangerous to get the sign right and then not to actually love and disciple and nurture our children. It, and there are communities in which maybe they have a, maybe you have some Reformed Baptist friends. I have godly, beloved Reformed Baptist friends. And they don't apply the sign of the covenant to their children until they profess. And they are convic- convinced of that. And yet they are so faithful in the discipline and bringing up of their kids. I believe that in a sense their unbaptism becomes baptism by their parents' faithfulness. And so even though we are committed to this understanding of the covenant, that, that our children are included in the promises and blessings of the covenant, just because we have the sign right doesn't mean we're doing all the right thing. We need to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, verse 14, in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Can you imagine what, you know, most people, one of the weirdest readings in Exodus for them is the Zipporah narrative. When Moses has failed to circumcise his children and Zipporah shows up and she circumcises them and touches his feet with them so that God doesn't kill him. I think this is a kind of a commentary for Moses on what's going on there. Moses is finding out, oh my Moses is a child of the covenant, but he has failed to apply the sign of that to his children. And then we see Abraham's obedience. And I, and I don't want to read this verbatim. I'm, I'm taking longer than I had planned to, but I want us to get to Romans 4. Because, beloved, it is difficult to see Christ here, but what it does is it, as we see God applying the covenant of grace to his people, and giving him these astounding promises and saying he will be faithful to a thousand generations and raising up the, the children. And then we, we see uh, in, in 15 to the end, we see that Abraham is faithful. He goes and he circumcises himself, um, Ishmael, and all those in his house. And, uh, you know, everyone always focuses on Sarah laughing. But Abraham laughs first, and then Isaac is named Isaac. They both laugh. But we'll get into that. We're, we're going to kind of begin with 15 as we get into chapter 18 next week. But I want us to go to Romans 4 now. I promise you we're not going to get a whole second sermon. Because God's word was inspired beginning to end. There are no contradictions in it. The old is in the new explained, and the new is in the old contained. And so I want to just knit Genesis and Romans together for you now. In the last few minutes, what then shall we say? This is Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. See him echoing the ideas of Ephesians 2, saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Paul is saying that same language applies back in Genesis. Same covenant of grace, same way of salvation. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, that's back in 15, and it was counted to him as righteousness. James will quote the same thing, and, then, and he'll point out the works, but the works that are fruit and evidence of his uh, salvation come a few chapters later. The faith comes first. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as a gift, but his due. If our salvation then has anything to do with how good I've been, even if some, some people do it this way, they go, maybe God looked down the corridor of time and he saw the people that would be obedient. He saw the people that would love and obey him. He saw the people that would have faith and then he for No. That is still making, even if we resolve some things about God's sovereignty that way, which is wrong, we're still making it all about us. To the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as a gift but a due, but salvation is a gift. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, this is the language of imputation, as righteous. Our bank accounts are not just empty before God. We are trillions in debt. We are in the red, worse than the United States federal debt. And what Christ does is he does not just like pay it off and zero it out and then say, get to work, Christians. All of his righteous merit is accounted, is imputed to your account. You ever have a rough week and then it's hard to pray? It's hard to come before the throne of grace because you feel you're, you've just sullied yourself. And you need to kind of have a few morning devotionals before you can really start praying again. That is works righteousness. That we, when we step before the throne of grace, we are clothed, as it were, with all the righteous merit of Christ. So that when we come before God's throne and we pray to him, herein is our salvation. God interacts with it. That's why we come in Jesus' name. Because we get to walk before him. And he sees us as though we had done all of the active obedience to the law that Christ had done. Christ's passive obedience, his death on the cross, pays for our sin. His active righteousness, his life of obedience, is accounted to you and to me if you are a child of faith. And just so you know, the world hates this. Because it strips us of all pride. And so many heresies in the church arise when we go, Yes, maybe God begins it, but I finish it. No. 
Our obedience is entirely fruit and evidence. It is never the basis by which we are saved. It flows out of this, oh my goodness. We have such a gracious, such a merciful, such a wonderful God from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, that saves his people by grace through faith. He justifies the ungodly. So so where is the Christ-shaped hole in the Old Testament as we deal with this? Well, the question is, how? How on earth can God call the ungodly righteous? We're not called innocent. We are called righteous. We are called, here's the naming, saints. Simultaneously saint and sinner. That is where we live. We are those, if you have come to Christ by faith, justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And he quotes the psalm, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no, count, uh, will not count his sin. You have trouble approaching God's throne because you have these things in the back of your mind. Yes, confess them. But know that even as you walk before God, he's not like sitting there frustrated until you confess it. You know, sometimes I feel like our preaching to myself, this is what I need. Sometimes I think of God as the, the, the you know, the, you have the, the doctrine of the, the prodigal son and the older brother and this, this God who is just so excited to see his child return. And then we think, Yes, but that's salvation. I've been saved. What happens when I walk away and come back again? And we think, well, now he's frustrated. Now I have to play the servant part. No. Every time you repent, there is rejoicing in heaven. Every time you stray, even as someone in the covenant of grace who ought to know better than the world, Our sin is, in a sense, worse than the world's sin because we ought to know better when we return. The father, like the father of the prodigal son, is there waiting, is delighted. There is rejoicing in heaven. Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It wasn't after. He's looking at the timeline of events. We need to do this with the Exodus as well. The Ten Commandments come after their salvation out of Egypt. It was not after, but before he was circumcised that he was accounted righteous. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal. That's like a wax imprint. A way in which this promise and this character of God is being like a wax seal being imposed onto the character of Abraham. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would not be counted, would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the uncircumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes through faith. For it's the adherents of the law who are to be, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be their heirs, faith is null, promises void. 
A little works righteousness royal uh, destroys the whole thing. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Come to Sunday school. We'll talk about that if you have questions. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. Let me just end with finishing reading Romans 4. Here is the gospel. It depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham is our father, as it is written I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are not. This is the I am God Almighty, the creator. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. no. Unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. See why that 13-year gap is so necessary. He believed, but he needed help with his unbelief. We believe, but we need help with our unbelief, and it is this slow, painful, difficult life of sanctification that is not just this thing to be dealt with is a thing to thank God as he works on us. Unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God in verse 20. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Genesis 17 is not just for his sake it was for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our transgression, for our sin. He was crucified and he was raised. He doesn't just die for our sin, but he is raised for our justification, our being declared righteous before God. If Christ does not get out of the tomb, we get no garment of Christ's righteousness before God. Ending right at the beginning of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here's how we end. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The old is in the new explained and the new is in the old contained. Our faith is the same as Abraham. And just as God called Abram, Abraham long before he had the children, so too he calls us saints long before we feel we reflect it in any way. So beloved, here is your encouragement. Remind yourself of the gospel. If you have been wandering, return. The father is not waiting on the front porch, frustrated that you're getting home at two in the morning. 
staying out too late. He is delighted to see you. And it is that amazing grace, which we have already sung about, that fuels our obedience. It fuels our worship. It fuels our prayers. God calls you a saint because before God in heaven, when you approach the throne, you are covered in that. You are a new man in Christ. So hear Paul's words from Colossians. So put on the new man. Beloved, let us live more in line with what Christ calls us. Not so that he will love us. Not so that the Father will not be frustrated with us. Because he loves us already and has saved us by grace. Send in prayer while the worship team. Father God.